you stand with me, please? Our darkness run for cover But the miracle that I just can't get over Is my name is registered in heaven I believe in signs and wonders I have resurrection power testimony from death to life because grace rewrote my story i'll testify that jesus christ the righteous i'm justified this is my testimony this is my testimony Together, sons and daughters, bought with blood and washed in water. Sing the praises of the Spirit, Son and Father. Our God will finish what He started. Our God will finish what He started. This is my testimony. Let's sing this bridge out. If I'm not dead, you're not done. We sing it in faith. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Greater things, greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe if I'm not dead, then you're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe, say, if I'm not dead, then you're not done. Greater things are still to come. Oh, I believe, if I'm not dead, then you're not done. Oh, greater things are still to come. We sing this out. My testimony from death to life, cause grace will my story. I'll testify, but Jesus Christ, the righteous, I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. This is my testimony from death to life, cause grace will my story. Testimony, this is my testimony. 
Well, good morning, Grace Point. Good morning. If you're at home on the couch, there's no judgment for you. Hello as well. I think that uh, there are so many ways that we can spend our week. And leading into the weekend, sometimes this can feel sort of ritualistic, like a pattern, and we just do it without a lack of heart or sense. And um, whatever you're holding this week, whatever you brought in the room with you, it's welcome, but I want you to know that God sees and knows your heart. He knows what you're holding. And in these times where we get to just sort of sit and be present, I hope that that's what you find. You find reprieve here with other people that are also trusting in God's sovereignty. Oh, things are
want to pray over you this morning um, before we sing this next song there's just so much going on as we get into the rush and unfortunate consumeristic aspect of the fall between the holidays coming up and things I hope that you do not get distracted by all the shiny and sparkly and moving things around you and forget what's inside of you that you are taking care of the heart that you have been blessed with, the body that you have been blessed with, and the mind. But I'm going to pray over you before we sing this next song. God, this morning I pray for your people, and I pray for the ways that you love them individually and so personally, like the little things do indeed matter, the small things that make us happy in the morning till we close our eyes at night. You care about the things we care about. And you show that to us each and every day that you're faithful with the sun shining in the sky, even in the rain. We find you faithful. We trust in what you're doing, even without answers yet. And we praise you in advance for the ways that you're going to work and move in our lives. One final breath and it was finished 
For the earth began to shake And the veil was torn What sacrifice was made As the heavens burned Let's sing this out is lifted up.
God, we give you this morning all that you will have in it. I pray that our hearts are softened to the ways that you want to speak to us, sometimes in unconditional ways. And I, I just pray for us receiving, that we be open to you in this space. We love you and praise you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. And amen. Good to see everybody. I don't see you outside, but it's good to be here with you as well. I've been looking forward to this morning for actually a few weeks now, knowing what's coming. We're in a series uh, called Case for Christ. And if you're new, welcome. We've been uh, unpacking one of the Jesus stories, the, one of the Gospels. Uh, and this one is the second gospel, Mark. So if you have your Bible, either on your phone or on your lap, take a look at Mark chapter 10 with us. We're going to continue our journey through this uh, 16th chapter set of encouragements that Mark writes to say Jesus is more than a man. Jesus really desires and has proven uh, to be worth being your Lord and Savior. We'll talk more about that this, this morning. And uh, so last Sunday, we looked at marriage and divorce, some heavy stuff, uh, according to God's Word and the heart of God. And now we're actually going to go into some more heavy stuff. I've got to warn you. And so this is really something that I believe... Uh, you can look back on and say, this was when I became more free. This morning is when I showed up to do the church thing, but God grabbed a hold of me in a very fresh way. I hope that's you. So uh, let's go ahead and just dive right on in. If you ever had one of those conversations with someone that you live with or work with, and uh, after the conversation, you left a little bit more confused a little bit more uncomfortable than when you started the conversation. We've all been there, right? Don't look at them. Look up here, right? And uh, honestly, have you ever been to a church service like this one? And you walked in, you want to go ahead and just do the church thing, but there is some uncomfortable emotions that started to stir. Most likely that's going to happen this morning. I just got to tell you because it really has happened to me. It happened to many in the first service. What are you going to do with that? And actually, that's what some of these tables are for up front that we typically don't have. But here's the deal. I hope God whispers his loving words of encouragement to you. But more than encouraging, I hope that there is some direction so that you can become more free than when you walked in here. So uh, you and I are a lot like this guy that we're going to unpack. So let's get, let's, get, let's get right to it. He left a conversation with Jesus more confused and more uncomfortable. It did not go the way he wanted. And out of love for him, Jesus did not let it go the way he wanted it. 
So let's go ahead and dive right on in to this passage, starting in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. If you've been with us, uh, we stopped at verse 12 last Sunday. I'm going to skip over verses 13 through 16 uh, just a little bit. And then we're going to go ahead and bring it into this story because it provides context for this conversation that's going to be the focus of our morning together. So let's jump over to verse 17, then we'll jump back, I promise. Mark chapter 10, verse 17, and as he was setting out on his journey, who's he and where is he going? What's his journey? This is Jesus, and he's setting out on his journey to Jerusalem, where he knows he will be arrested, assaulted, killed, and then he would rise again after three days. He's been telling his disciples, they're not getting it, uh, and he said it over and over, and you're going to see it next Sunday, he says it again. Guys, I'm going with a certain intention. Uh, and it must happen the way I'm describing. So as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's where we left him last Sunday. He is beyond the Jordan, just north of the Dead Sea at the eastern region of Judea. And so now he's wrapping up this ministry time there, and now he's starting to head uh, west and crossing the Jordan River, and now he's going to Jericho and then to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. And so he's packing up. My guess is Peter and Bartholomew and Andrew, all these guys, they're putting their backpacks on, and then this guy says, I got to do it. I got to do it now. And so he runs up to Jesus, kneels down, and asks him a very spiritual question. Good teacher, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Seems kind of strange. And then verse 19, well, to answer your question, you, you know the commandments, you know the Mosaic law that was given years ago to our forefather Moses at the base of Mount Sinai from God himself. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear fault witness. Do not defraud and honor your father and mother. He basically gives them commandment five through nine of the big ten given down the mountain in Exodus 20, okay? And so why would Jesus do that? And if he's going to do it, did he forget the others? Why would he just give them these? Verse 20. And he said to them, this guy responds to Jesus, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Love that. And said to him, you lack one thing. So again, if you kind of grew up in churchy circles, this story might seem a little bit similar. This is that, that, that guy. That's the, this is the rich, young ruler guy. And you would be right. We don't know his name, but we do know that he is this rich, young ruler guy, and we know more. And so let's unpack him just a little bit. So on your outline, you might want to write a couple of things down. What do we know about this man? Well, uh, matter of fact... Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, all three of these synoptic gospels are more of the same story gospels. The first three gospels, they include this in their Jesus story. 
And so you read all three of those, and you get more of this, uh, I guess, composite uh, description. And so he was rich. Matter of fact, in Luke 18, verse 23, uh, he's described as extremely rich. And a little bit later on, we're going to see in Mark chapter 10, verse 22, he had great possessions. So he was rich in his day. He was also young. We learn that from Matthew chapter 19, verse 22. He was described as a young man approach. And that describes his vitality, his energy, his, his health. And then also... Uh, from Luke 18, we know that he was a ruler. Luke 18, verse 18, a ruler approached Jesus. And what is that? Not as much of a religious Pharisee, but more of a ruler of his uh, peers. Uh, he was a man of influence. He was a man of prosperity. He was a man of status. So literally, this guy had stuff, stature, and status, okay? This guy was living the American dream. But he still wasn't sure he has done all he could do to basically have as much life as he wanted to have now and forever. And so he's chasing what a lot of people that we are and live around and work around are pursuing. I don't want us to miss that. Uh, yet he knew something maybe is lacking. So this rich, young ruler is also spiritual. Can you be spiritual and still be far from the living God? The answer is yes. That's what he was. He said, you know what? I'm doing everything I know to do. Everything I've learned in Sabbath school ever since I was a little guy. But is it enough? Man, people are asking that today as well. So he was spiritual. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Have you been asking spiritual questions? Do you know other people asking these, these God-sized questions? You know, who is God? Uh, how can I know God if there is a God? And what is life after this life all about? That's what this guy was wondering. And he was wondering, I want to be with God. I want to be right with God. Have I done enough to look forward to that with any level of assurance? That's this guy's question. And it's many people's question today. So again, what do we know about this guy? Rich, young, ruler, spiritual. You're also going to see a little bit later on, he was very respectful. He doesn't come to argue like the Pharisees did. And we've been learning about these Pharisees. They come with their clipboards and their criticism. And they basically just try to go ahead and not learn from Jesus, but like to trap Jesus, right? Uh, that's not this guy. This guy's not trying to trap him. He's really trying to, 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 to glean wisdom from, from Jesus. But here's the deal. I want us to go ahead and uh, make sure we lean into this story as I hope we all do. Something on your outline to write down. Let me unpack it. What else can we know about this guy? You are that guy. I am that guy in a lot of ways. So again, well, Bob, what are you calling me rich? I'm not rich. Uh, I'm comfortable. I mean, I, 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 I know a lot of people that have less than I do, but I know a lot of people that have way more than I do. I'm not rich. I'm comfortable. And, and if I ever get to the next level of living that I hope to aspire to, that's not rich either. Matter of fact, most people think whatever I can aspire to, um, that's not rich. But whatever is impossible for me to experience, you know, the inventors of Google and the winners of the, the lotteries, they're the rich people. I want to 
push back a bit on that. So again, according to world standards, if you have more than one pair of shoes, if you are able to drink clean water, if you're able to go ahead and have a level of health related to hygiene, uh, let alone health care, uh, we are living in the top 2 3% on the planet. And so um, we are this guy. And I actually had a little fun here for me. And uh, so, again, this guy was pretty impressive. I mean, wherever he went, he was rich, he was young, he was a ruler, he was, he was inquisitive. Uh, he basically gathered an audience wherever he went. And uh, what would it be like to meet him? What would it be like for him to meet me, you know? And so I kind of went there just a little bit, realizing that, you know what? He was a man of great possessions. I wonder what he would think of my great possessions. And so uh, let's say I had an opportunity to zap him into our community and, uh, and invite him over for lunch, okay? And so uh, let's have a little bit of fun on this one, and we'll get back to the text, because I really want to bring us into the text before we unpack it. And so here's the guy. It's black here, and it's up there. Oh, there he is. Here's the guy. He's the rich young ruler, and as he would ride up on his black horse, I would be impressed. But even more than I'm impressed with him, he would be impressed with my black Honda, right? And, uh, and so, again, uh, doors and wheels and air conditioning and, uh, you know, comfort. So he would be pretty impressed. Wow, is that, what did you say, black Honda, yours? Yes, yes, it is. Is that where you live? Uh, oh, no. And so what I would do, then I'd push a button, and then the walls to my house would go up. He'd be really impressed. What's in there? That's where I live. And so we walk into the house, and it says, is all that stuff yours? Yes, it is. But that's not all my stuff. This is my secondary stuff. I mean, I spent time in here, but I have more stuff, and I live more time through that back door. So you don't sleep here? No. So all this stuff is yours? Yes. And then he says, so let me get this straight. All that stuff in those boxes are yours? Yes, they are. What's in that stuff? I have no idea. I haven't seen that stuff in a couple years. And, but it's my stuff. Matter of fact, when Rhonda and I cleaned out our garage about a year ago, we gave away a lot of stuff, and we decided this is some secondary stuff we still want to hold on to. You are a man of great possession. Well, I guess I am. So if you don't sleep here, I don't see a bed, and you don't really live here, what's inside? Let me show you. And so we go through a door into the other rooms, and the first door we get to is the bathroom. What's in there? Oh, that's where we wash our hands. How does that work? Where's the well? We don't need a well. Watch this. I turn a knob and out comes cold water. Wow. Can you drink that? Well, you can, but, but we don't. We have other water to drink. This is where we wash our hands. Watch this. I turn a knob and it gets hot. He has no category, as most people on this planet have no category for that. For he is hot water. Oh, that would be helpful. It is, I suppose. What's that bowl of water? Is that to drink? Oh, no, no, no. 
that's where we put our waste. What do you do with your waste once you put it in the bowl? Watch this. I push the lever, and there's a flush. And it says, well, that's where it all goes. Where does it go? I have no idea. But it goes away from here because we don't want it here. You are a man of great influence. I guess I am. We walk out of the bathroom. We go into the kitchen. No more pictures. I didn't ask permission to give any more pictures of our house. And uh, so now we go into the kitchen, and we look at a, 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 a cabinet. And I said, what's in there? That's some of our food. Can I see it? Yes, you may. I open up the pantry, and there's cans, and there's bags. There's a lot of food. You are a man of great possession. Well, I suppose I am. So th this is not all your food? Oh, no. Then I go up to another metal box. And I open up two doors, and out comes cold air. The guy is floored. You are truly a man of great possession. So let me. So all this cold food and all this other food, is that all your food? Is that what you eat? Well, that is what we eat when we decide we want more than this. So what I do is I push a couple buttons on this device, and then I have people bring me food from wherever they are. You don't have to hunt or fish. Oh, no. They do that for me. And they bring it to me. I say hello. I say thank you. I give them a little bit. And then they bring me food. And then they go away until I summon them again. You are a man of great influence. Well, I suppose I am. So, so, so where do you eat? Do you eat in this little the, the, this table with these chairs? Well, most of the time, no. Usually we put our food either brought to us or we get our cabinet or our cold place and uh, we sit in front of this black rectangle on the wall. Why would you do that? Watch this. I turn on the black box and it comes alive. Why do you do that? Well, then we watch other people eat and drink and do things. How many people? Lots of people. We have lots of channels. How many channels? I have no idea. Do you watch them all? No, we don't. That would just be too difficult. Oh, I know why you don't watch them all. Because the sun goes down. It gets dark. It's time to sleep. Oh, no. I push another button. And I bring light into the house. Of which 97% of this planet have no idea how that works. And if that would ever be something that they could enjoy. Where am I going with this? I am a man of great possession. I am a man of great comfort, and I live unlike most people on this planet. Because if he would say, is everybody as rich as you? Oh, man of great possession? Oh, no. Matter of fact, very few are. I am this man. I have a level of independence and prosperity to me, and so do you. If you have more than one pair of shoes, if you know anything about hygiene and healthcare that's provided for you, if you have ever felt hot water from a faucet, you and I are blessed. Some of you know that we sponsor people, sponsor kids all over the world. Many of you are in child sponsorships, and we buy mattresses, we buy cows, we buy opportunity for them, and uh, they have no dream. I didn't share this with the first service, but, and I don't have time to go into the pack. I still remember Bright Kawamba. Uh, so maybe some of you were here some years ago where uh, I went to Malawi uh, when the AIDS epidemic was, uh, was ravaging that country. 
And uh, so I, I met people there and loved them and, and buried some and, and taught many. And uh, I met Bright Coamba. And so, and then after that, I said, I'd love for you to come and meet our church and let our church in San Diego meet you and, uh, and learn from you. And, and so we could pray over you. And, and he did that. So we flew him to uh, San Diego and we, uh, Rhonda and I, we hosted him for a week. Uh, I remember walking him into Ralph's right down the street. I had no context for how that would make him feel. Bright Kawamba was bright because of his smile. He lit up any room. He loved Jesus, loved people, and he was grateful to be here. We uh, walked into Ralph's, and he got quiet. He had no category because Malawi is one of the poorest places on the planet. And then uh, we went to other places, and uh, so uh, and others that we support, and others that we have privileged. So just make no mistake that we 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 are we are this guy, and sadly, um, we are not as free here as most people that I know there, and uh, we have bought into the myth that life is about stuff, stature. And status, because when we leave, when we lose stuff and we lose our physical stature or might we lose worldly status, most people don't know what to do with themselves. So that's free of charge, okay? So let's get back to this. So again, don't think, oh, this message would be good for my boss or for that person that lives on an island or, or whatever. This is us. This is us. We are this person. And... Uh, I'm curious how God will speak to you. I know how God has been nudging me as I have uh, been pouring over this passage. So let's go ahead and keep, keep going here. Look at verse 17 again. He runs up, he kneels down, and he asks, good teacher. And so he's humble. He's respectful. He's teachable. But he walks away discouraged. Why? Well, because he didn't hear what he wanted to hear. And notice how Jesus responds to him. Good teacher. So in this passage, Jesus goes after his heart three specific ways. Here's the first one. Oh, good teacher. Why would he say good teacher? He's trying to be respectful. Matter of fact, he gives Jesus the title good, and there's nowhere in the scriptures, this is the first time anyone calls Jesus good, and in the Talmud, which is the primary teaching of the Jewish people, um, there is no account of any rabbi, any teacher being described as good. So honestly, this is a very honorable position. Why would Jesus say, uh, what must, or good teacher, what must I do to eternal life? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. What he's saying is, if you're trying to do what you need to do, what must I do to inherit eternal life? you need to know that there is only God who is that good without bad that can basically go ahead and get and offer eternal life. Jesus is saying now for about two and a half years, don't call me good if you're lumping me in with everybody else that's, that, that is, 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 is sort of good. Only God is good if you're saying without bad. 
And so the guy misses this, because what he's saying is, everybody has a sin problem other than me. That's why I came. So if you're trying to go ahead and get to a holy God, you're getting to a heaven, and you still have a sin problem, you're not good enough. You need help with someone good enough. So hold that thought, but he totally misses it, as most people would during this passage, but that's the first attempt to get this guy to ask a different question. He's saying, what must I do? Basically says, there's nothing you can do to erase your sin situation. Um, You need help getting to go where you want to be. So when Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. It's interesting, you look in the scriptures, God is the one who's described as good. And uh, the scriptures that they were familiar with, look at the Old Testament. Look at 1 Chronicles 16, verse 34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Absence of bad, absence of sin. Blessed is the one who takes refuge, who relies on him. The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. So Jesus is saying, listen, I'm more than a man. I'm Messiah. I'm God the Son, the Son of God. I can be a deliverer. I can be a Savior because I'm without sin, and I'm the only one. By the way, that claim got him killed. The Pharisees could not handle that. You claim to be God, you got to go. And so, again, uh, Jesus doesn't just want him to be lumped into another good man. And then... Uh, he goes after the commandments. So this is attempt number two to help him understand that there's nothing you can do to go ahead and erase the situation that you're in because of the sin that is in your life. So now he says, you know the commandments. uh, Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, uh, do not bear false witness, and do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Notice this, uh, half the commandments are vertical with God, Other half are horizontal with others. He goes after the horizontal ones because you can think you're okay with God when you're not, but you really can't fake if you're okay with other people because basically that's where our sin is really staring us in the face. So he's saying, okay, guys, let me me, uh, help you understand uh, maybe that you're not as sinless as you're pretending to be. So how about these commandments here? And notice what he says. Teacher, all these I have kept. From my youth. I really don't believe he's being arrogant here. I think he's being respectful and humble. He's teachable. He's, he, he wants to know what Jesus has to say. He wants to know what must I do. Basically, what he's saying is, I have grown up in church. My mom and dad taught me the commandments. I've been a good Jewish kid my entire life. There have been many times other people said things that I didn't say. Other people did things that I didn't do. Other people went places that I didn't go because I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. I wanted to live the life God wants me to live. So again, if you're asking me if I really worked as hard as I could to be the best person I can be, I'm that guy. I just need to know have I done enough? Is there something more that needs to be done? Is there another activity? Is there another experience? Is there something that I need to do? Is there another rung I need to climb? That's what he's asking. Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Now take a look at this next one, uh, verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him and loved him, Now, again, he could have shamed him here. You know what? 
let's go back to sixth grade. Let's go back to in your... He doesn't do that because Jesus could have given him an examples of where he's falling short. But he doesn't. He takes a different route. First it says, listen, no one's good except God. So don't think you're good enough on your own. And then, well, how about these commandments? Uh, How are you doing? I'm doing it. I'm working really hard. If you're grading on a curve, I'm in. I'm doing way more than most people are doing here. And then rather than shaming or giving him examples, he says, well, okay. Looking at him, loving him, he says to him, you lack one thing. Now stop there for a second. How would you feel if you heard that? You probably would have felt great. (laughs) One thing? Tell me. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. Is there another commandment? Is there another journey? Is there another activity? Give me. I thought there'd be at least five. One thing. What is it? And this is where the story takes a turn. And this is where most people kind of miss the heart of this passage. See, Jesus is not after this guy's money. Jesus is not after trying to frustrate this man or shame this man. He's trying to help this man be set free. And let's take a look at this. You lack one thing. The last half of verse 21, he didn't see this coming. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. Not some, everything you have, you need to go and sell. Now, again, Jesus really wanted to make sure back then and today, he's not trying to take people's money for his own self. Go sell and then give it away. And then you're in. That's all you got to do. And then come, you're in. Then follow me, join, join, join the posse. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. You're in. And then come follow me and be part of the ministry family. Get the context. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, you got to be without sin. Don't call me good if I have bad. No one is good if they have bad, so I am good, and you're right. I'm the only one. You're not, and there's sin in your life, and heaven is a holy place without sin. That was attempt number one, and then attempt number two is, well, then how are you doing with the commandments? Basically, if you live perfectly according to the Mosaic law, then you don't need anybody's help, and by the way, we've talked about this. God gave the Mosaic law. God gave the, the, the laws back then and today not to build a ladder to heaven, but to show us that we can't reach heaven without help because those laws were impossible to keep, but they exposed a holiness of God, the standard that God has, and then how we all fall short. It's no coincidence that right when Moses gave them all the laws, he also gave them the sacrifices to do when they break the laws. And that was the point. The law was meant to expose sin, not to increase self-reliance. But he says, I'm good. I've done enough. So here's where Jesus goes after his heart. This man was a rich, young ruler. And Jesus says something to him that he doesn't say to anybody else in all recorded ministry. Go sell everything you have. Honestly, what he heard is, go grow a third ear. 
go swim from here to Hawaii. Jesus gave him something based on what he knew in his heart and what he must hold on to for his very identity. Jesus gave him something that he knew would be impossible to do. So when he says, I can't, Jesus says, you're right. So again, don't think this passage is all about money. This passage is about the impossibility of getting to God and living life forever with him on your own. So what Jesus would have wanted this man, because he was enslaved by stuff, this man was all wrapped up in stuff, stature, and status. This is who he was. This is how life worked for him. What Jesus would have wanted to hear is, what you're asking is too much. If that's the wrong I need to reach, if that's the hill I need to climb, if that's what I must do to inherit eternal life, I can't. Jesus would say, you're right. That's why, by the way, I'm on my way to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world, including yours, because you can't earn it. You can't do it. It is impossible for you to earn your way of what you can do, so I've done it for you. I wonder, based on your context, what impossible step would he say to you because of what you and your identity is so enmeshed with that you would say, well, if that's what it takes, then I guess I can't earn it. See, Jesus is trying to go ahead and bring him to a humble state not just to have one more thing to accomplish so he knows he earned it, he can do it. It's interesting, though, he misses what happened just before this. So I told you we'd go back to the passage just before this. Uh, now, with that context, let's go back to verses 13 through 16. So he is still east of the Jordan, and he's still teaching and training and then some parents bring their little ones to Jesus. Let's take a look at that. Let's go back, and then let's go ahead and, and wrap this up. Uh, so take a look at Matthew 10 now. Let's go back to verse 13. Right after marriage and divorce, again, the, the Pharisees come to try to trap him, so he was real careful. We looked at that. And now they were bringing children to him. Who's they? Some moms and dads. That he might touch their children. And the disciples rebuked these parents. Oh, don't stop. He has way more teaching and training. He doesn't have time for your little kids. And by the way, there were children here. It's pideon. It literally means infant, baby, little one, little children. You'll see a little bit more of this in this context. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children, let the little ones come to me. How are they coming to him? They're not coming on their e-bikes. They're not coming with all of, uh, you know, their physical ability. They're being carried to Jesus. Hold that thought. And bringing their children to him. So some of you, we might think older kids don't. This Greek word and this context doesn't allow that. Let the children come to me with the help of their parents. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs, now these little ones, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. That's what got the rich young ruler's attention. You mean, what does that mean? You're saying who is in and who's out, and uh, whoever is like them belongs the kingdom of God? 
And then he says it even more specifically. Look at verse 15. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, how? Like a child, one of these kids, they shall not enter it. That's why this guy, now they start putting on their backpacks. And that's when the guy just runs in. Wait, wait, whoa. What must I do? What does that mean? Notice verse 16. And he took them, don't miss this, in his arms. You don't carry a sixth grader in your arms. You don't carry a teenager in your arms. You carry an infant in your arms. This is the context of that, of that story. I googled cute kids, okay? And... Uh, Jesus is teaching and training. There's moms and dads. Hey, could, you don't touch teenagers. That's a little weird, right? You touch little babies. And so basically, he takes them in his arms, touches them, blesses them, prays over them. And then he says, let me just give you another kingdom lesson. You've got to come to God like this, totally dependent, totally reliant. You can't do it on your own. You need to be as helpless as this, as humble as being this helpless, and then ask for assistance. Another cross-reference here. Look at Matthew. Earlier on, Matthew, the, the great Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor, not the money. A lot of people miss this passage. It's not about money. Poor in spirit. God made sure there's enough godly, materially rich people in the Bible, and there's enough godly, poor people in the Bible. Money is neutral. Money is not your problem. We'll talk about that. But again, blessed are the poor in spirit. The idea there is blessed are those who know that they are spiritually bankrupt. For theirs is the kingdom of God. What must I do? You're asking the wrong question. You can't. And if you're going to try to do something, let me go ahead and get you to stop trying because I'm going to give you something impossible to do. Grow a third ear. Swim to Hawaii. Knowing this man was so trapped and his identity was so bound up in his possessions, sell everything you have. He literally couldn't do it. He was enslaved by that. And he wanted to arouse humility in this man. And yet he still walked away. I like the way 5.3 in Matthew, in the New Living Translation, God blesses those who are poor in spirit, who realize their need for him. See, that's what this rich young ruler didn't realize. He was saying, just give me something that I can do for myself. So I need to get you to stop thinking that way because it is impossible for you to get to God that way. And here's one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. Look at Matthew, Mark chapter 10, 22. After hearing what he deemed as impossible, if that's what it takes for me to inherit eternal life based on what I must do, disheartened, I have to say no. I, I, I can't do it. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What do you think Peter's thinking right now? Jesus, we need this guy. This guy is the next gen. This guy has everything. This guy has a following. Uh, give him 80-20. Don't say all. Come on now. You've never said that to anybody else. Why are you picking on him? You've got to know the disciples were really confused because basically they ask about it. Listen to me. Jesus is not picking on this guy. He's trying to free this guy. And he's trying to give him something impossible to do so he can quit trying to do it for himself. But then we're going to go after 
what was enslaving him and possibly whatever else might be enslaving you and I. But don't miss that. And you see this a little bit more in this next text. Uh, he went away sorrowful because he had great possession. I, I, what you're saying, I can't do. And now take a look at verse 23. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, because he knew they were struggling. It's like, oh, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Because, we'll see this a little bit later on, they cannot, you cannot serve two masters. His life was about something else. How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them, children, gentlemen, people, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. Here it is. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Have you ever heard that before? I've heard some pretty strange interpretations of this one. And uh, I think sometimes people make it way too hard. Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for... Uh, Look over there. See that camel? It would be easier for a rich person to go into the kingdom of God than for that camel to uh, squeeze himself through an eye of a needle. Well, that's impossible. That's the point. And the reason is, is rich people are self-reliant. Rich people know how to get things done and do things for themselves and whatever they need to do. They just work hard and they just get it and they pay for it and they have it and they move on from it. It's really hard with people of great possession not to be owned by it and try to earn it on their own. That's the point. It is impossible for you and I and those richer or poorer than you and I to do what is necessary to inherit the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus came to do it for us. Notice this next verse. Look at verse 26 and 27. <laughs> I love this. And they were exceedingly, exceedingly astonished and said to him, then, then who can be saved? I mean, honestly, if he can't get in based on his work ethic, his desire to do whatever is necessary, then who's in? This is the climax. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible to get to God, get to heaven. That's the point. But not with God. God made a way. A lot of people take this verse out of context, put it on a coffee cup or a calendar. The, the context here is salvation. The context here is you can't get to heaven without help. You can't get to heaven without someone who was born without sin live without sin, died without sin, and then says, I can take you to heaven on my ticket if you receive me as Lord and Savior. For all things are possible with God. I can save all people, rich or poor, married, single, man, woman, if they bow the knee, if they invite me in. So that's, that's, that's the passage. There's a few more verses. I'm going to push another pause here because i got to go after... Okay, if this passage isn't about money, but this is his issue, and that's why Jesus brought it up, what about money? And sadly, too many authors, teachers, even pastors, take this passage and they use it as a proof text for people to redistribute their wealth. Literally, if you're godly, get rid of most of it. That is not biblical. That is not what it says. I've literally had people say, you know what? The godless people have far less in material wealth. That's just not true. 
that's not in the Bible. That's not what Jesus is teaching. So what does Jesus teach? What is in the Bible? Let me just give you a little bit. I'm not going to turn this into a financial biblical seminar. But let me give you six truths on your note sheet. I'm going to just highlight them. Uh, three do's and three don'ts. And then I'm going to get back to the text. Because the last don't has a lot to do with what Jesus asked this rich young ruler to do. That he knew he would see as something that would be impossible. The bar is too high. Let's take a look real quick. What does the Bible say about money? Three things. Sacrificially give, regularly save, thoughtfully spend. And if this is new for you, God is the best financial manager. He knows how to go ahead and, and handle finances wisely. And these three categories are huge related to what Scripture says. Sacrificially give. God knows that we sacrifice for who or what that we love the most. And whoever we love the most basically influences us the most. And God also knows that where we put our treasures, our heart follows. So this is huge. So this is basically tithing, not tipping, and first fruit giving. Tithing basically is giving sacrificially on a percentage basis, not on a, an emotion basis. And then First fruit giving is you give off the top, you don't do everything else you want, and then give on the back end. There's no faith for that. So again, God says the way you are to give is in a way that would grow you closer to me. All right, sacrificially give. Regularly save. Literally, it's not wise, the Bible says, uh, to, 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 how do I say it, spend everything you have. You need to regularly save. Sadly, a lot of people, they know, you know what, I can't live above my means. It's not good to live above our means. Only the government can do that, okay? You can't do that. You can't make your own money. You know what the Bible says? You really shouldn't live equal to your means. Because if you live equal to your means, you can't save. So literally, you need to go ahead and choose to live below your means so you can have some to give to God first and then give to yourself second. So, hey, you can put some away. Regularly save. If you're living paycheck to paycheck, you are not made to live with that financial pressure. So you need to have some margin that allow you to give and allow you to save. Live below your means. Most people don't choose to do that. And then lastly, thoughtfully spent, not impulsively spent. Thoughtfully spend means if you want it, that doesn't mean you should get it. Uh, if other people have it, that doesn't mean you should want it. And so again, thoughtfully spend. It's okay to spend on yourself, but do it thoughtfully. Do it intentionally. Uh, do it budgetly, um, but don't do it impulsively. So there's a lot there. So those, those are the do's. Now let me give you some don'ts. According to the Scripture, don't love money. Listen to me. Money is not your problem. I pray that you'd have lots of it, okay? Uh, money is never your problem. Look what the Bible says, though, 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money, because whatever you love, you're going to sacrifice for. You're going to basically be consumed with. And so uh, God says, watch out. The love of money, you got to have it. You need it that much is the root of all kinds of evils. makes you make all kinds of wrong choices. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith. And they have pierced themselves with many problems, many 
pangs. Don't love it. The, third, the second one is don't hope in it. Enjoy it. But don't rely on it because money can come and money can go. Your ultimate reliance, your ultimate security should be in the character and promises of God. So many people, i got to save more and more and more because if it's all up to you, you will never save enough. If it's up to God and you do what he says, he says that's enough. So again, don't put hope, put hope ultimately in God for sending your kids to college, for your retirement, for bills and for worries. Say, God, it's all yours anyway. I want to go ahead and give it all to you. And you want me to go ahead and give a percentage here? You want me to go ahead and give? You want me to save? You want me to spend? And, you, and so I'm going to do it your way. And so basically you will be my provider because I'm following your plan. So don't put hope in it because if you're putting hope in money, you'll never have enough. And then the lastly, and let's get back to the story, don't be enslaved by it. What does that mean? You don't own your stuff, it owns you. You live for stuff and status. Your identity is wrapped up in what you have and what else you want. And that's where this guy was. That's why Jesus says, i got to give this guy something so ridiculous, so extreme, that he knows he can't do it, and then what will he do? Will he say, I can't live the standard? Is there another way to inherit eternal life? Well, yes, there is. Matter of fact, inherit means you're part of the family, and I can go ahead and let you in on my ticket. It's called grace. You can't earn it. Just ask for it and follow me. Trust me. He didn't do it. So, you know, if I can't go to God on my terms, if I can't earn it, then I'm going to move from it. Don't be enslaved by it. Let's go back now to this. Look at chapter 10, verse 20 and 21. And Jesus looking at him and loved him. I want you to be free more than I want you to do anything with your finances. And so I need to arouse in you an awareness of your depravity, your need for me, and I want to give you an impossible task. Either you're going to leave discouraged or you're going to leave dependent. And I hope you choose, I hope you choose the latter. Again, I think I, did I talk to you about Zacchaeus already on this service? Did I do that? Did I say Zacchaeus? No. All right, let me give this to you. So basically, uh, it's interesting. So where is Jesus? He's down east of the Jordan, just north of the Dead Sea. It's interesting that Luke chapter 19, you can read this on your own, Jesus has a story about a guy named Zacchaeus. And uh, it's interesting, Luke 18 is the rich young ruler. And so uh, Luke is the only one that includes Zacchaeus, but it happens just a few days after the rich young ruler. How do we know that? Because he's down uh, on the other side of the Jordan, and he goes to Jericho to get to Jerusalem. So he leaves uh, the, the, the place where he's teaching and training. He goes to Jericho in Luke chapter 19. It's interesting. Let me just tell you this story. Let me speed it up a little bit. Zacchaeus is another rich guy. Zacchaeus is another rich spiritual guy. So he goes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's interesting that Jesus doesn't say to this rich guy, go sell everything you have, give it all the way to the poor, and come follow me. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't even mention this guy's money. You know why? It's because Zacchaeus owned his stuff. 
this rich young ruler, his stuff owned him. Matter of fact, Jesus didn't even bring up money to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus on his own says, well, I'm just going to give a chunk of it away. Jesus says, that's fine. There's only one person to show people's need for God to do what is impossible for them to do about money, about giving sacrificially, and it's this rich young ruler. So don't make this, don't make this about money. And then a little bit earlier on, take a look at Luke 16, verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Please hear this. It doesn't say no one should serve two masters. No one can serve. He's going after this rich young ruler's master. And the master says, you're not giving me away. No one, you cannot serve God and be enslaved by money. Really, you cannot serve God and be enslaved by anything else. It just happened to be money back then and today is one of the primary idols, primary ways people identify with how to have the status and the stuff that uh, they feel like um, they, they, they need to, to live well. I'm going to give you something else, too. This is, I'm going to go way back now because I'm going to speed this up, but let me give you a little bit of history. Ever since sin came in, God has been all about trying to get people free, get free from the clutches of sin, salvation, but also then living free from the pulls of lesser gods. So it's interesting. Take a look at Exodus chapter 20, verses uh, 2 through 5. So this is way back again in Moses' day in the commandments and uh, they just were freed from Egypt, right? After all these years being slaves in Egypt, this is what God says. All right, now that you're free from physical slavery, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. I want you free. Whatever is enslaving you, I don't want that for you. And it's not just physical freedom. Notice this. Okay, now that you're free from them, be free from whatever you are tempted to bow down to. Notice this. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. He kind of just goes off. And then it says, you shall not bow down to them or serve them. Now, why would he have to say that? How irrational is this? And this is what exactly what they did. I'm going to go ahead and make an idol. I'm going to make a statue out of any mineral that is available to me, gold or silver or bronze or, or copper or whatever. So I'm going to make a statue. Then I'm going to go ahead and bow down to the statue, and I'm going to serve that statue. Does that make any sense? Why would you make something and think that it is worth bowing down to and serving? It's important for us to grasp why they did it because people still do the same today. They're not bowing down to the statue. They're bowing down to what the statue represents because the statue represented a way for them to experience prosperity, a way for them to get the stuff, the stature, and the status that mankind has been chasing after and pursuing ever since we were around. It's even more interesting. Take a look at these idols. Back in those days, we don't 
worship Baal and Ashtaroth today, but we still want to worship what they represent. The first two is Baal. Back in the Canaanite days and the, and the early Jewish uh, Israel days, you had Baal. Baal was the god of sun and rain. He was the god that said, if you worship me, I'm going to make it you know, sunny when I need to be. I'll make it rainy when I need to be so you can have all the cattle and all the crops you need to prosper. So bowing down to Baal is, is asking him to make you prosperous making you to have the status among your peers because you have so much cattle and crops. We don't bow down to Baal today, but we sure try to bow down to whatever, whoever will make us prosperous, will give us the cattle and the crops so we don't have to worry at night so we can go ahead and look impressive by these other people that live around us. That's Baal. And then Ashtaroth is the female god of fertility and sex. She's the one that people worshipped and, and believed that they should have religious prostitution. It was a real mess. Back then, it was prosperity and pleasure. Things haven't changed. Now, this rich young ruler was not bowing down to Baal and Ashtaroth, but he was bowing down to something, his portfolio, that would allow him to have the prosperity, the, the, the reputation, uh, the, 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 the prominence in this world, and he says, I can't let that go. And God says, listen, any other thing or person that you're trying to draw life from is an idol. And it's keeping you from living as free as I want you to live. Therefore, God says, don't bow down to these things. Bow down to me because I'm the only God. I'm a good God. Every other God will under-deliver. And, it's in, and uh, so th there, there's more to it than that. And honestly... Uh, is it okay to pursue prosperity? Is it okay to pursue getting more stuff? The answer is fine. The idea, though, is, is how much is enough? And here's what I want to do. And, we're, and we're, 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 we're going to land this plane because idols have a way of creeping into the throne rooms of our life. If you would have asked this rich young ruler, uh, do you have an idol? He would have said no. Do you have a problem with money? Absolutely not. Jesus tried to expose it by saying you need to go ahead and give it all away, and that's what he couldn't do. Ask me anything else. I wonder what you would hope God would never ask you to do because he is a jealous God. He will go after what you hope he never shines light on. And that's kind of where I want to go. So look with me on your outline. How to hunt for idols. Okay, I don't want to be like this guy. And oftentimes God sees my idols before I see my idols. And my idols keep me from being as free because I can't serve more than one master. And if I'm serving, if I'm identifying, if I'm relying on this for the, the needs that I think I have, I'm not going to God and God says you are less free. And so how do you hunt for idols back then and today? Because idols will creep in to the throne room of your lives. And here's something you really need to grasp. An idol is usually a good thing, starts as a good thing, and slowly turns into a God thing. And so it started to be good that you enjoy, that, that, you, that you like, that you hope you never lose. But then if you are overly reliant, if that's where your identity is, if that is what you can't live without, it is more than a good thing. Now it's something you're bowing down to that you desperately need. And God says that is keeping you less free. 
So an idol is usually a good thing that becomes a God thing. Let me give you three questions related to that. Here we go. And this is where it's going to get a little bit uncomfortable for you. I know that. It is uncomfortable for me. What am I consumed to have? You don't have him or her or that or those yet, but it's all you think about. It might even be all you pray about. So listen to your prayers and pay attention to what consumes your thoughts. It's okay to pray, but we learned this last summer in our prayer series, it's more important to focus on the giver than the specific gift that you really keep bringing up. Why do you want that so much? Do you want that condo? Do you want that dress size? Do you want that retirement package? Do you want him or her to treat you? Or what, what do you want the most that you don't have? Watch out that your desire becomes something you're consumed. That's all you can think about. That's all you talk about. That's really all you want. What am I consumed to have? The second one is this. What am I committed to keep? You have it. You literally can't imagine life without it. Or her. Or him. Out of love for this man, Jesus was trying to help him see what he knew he could not live without. Now I'm going to go ahead and push that a little bit farther. What would destroy me from the loss of it? What does that mean? There's a difference between being devastated and destroyed. What would devastate you would be something you care about, you love very much, and it is no longer in your life. There are some things that would devastate me. Would they destroy me? Destroy means that I'm no longer alive. I've lost my purpose. I've lost my identity. I've lost who I am. That would destroy me. Ron is in this service. I have no category of what it would be like to lose her. I have no category, and I haven't lost a spouse or a child yet. Some of you have. I've had the privilege of being here in this auditorium with many of our church family that have lost spouses and have lost children. And they were so devastated, but they were not destroyed. Because I have seen God dump grace on their life unlike I have never experienced. Because I cannot imagine the level of, of God's presence and power that's needed to keep breathing after that level of loss. Can't imagine how that would be. But I have seen some of you, in your devastation, experience the presence and power of God. And it, it has not destroyed you. You've, you've chosen to move forward with him. What would destroy me from the loss? God, you can have anything else. You can have anything else. If that goes, I'm done. If that's the truth, then your identity is too wrapped up in him or her or them. And parents, love your kids. Enjoy your kids. Sacrifice for your kids. Don't live for them. Don't be consumed by them. 
offer them. God, I can't imagine life without them, but even more, I can't imagine life without you. Love them. Don't live for them. Some of you, this is where you're at, because honestly, this is where I'm at in some areas. God, I want to not need him or her or that as much as I do. It's not that I won't give them up. It's not that, that I won't want to move them from a God thing to a good thing. I just can't. I don't have the power to do it. I don't know what life would be like without it. So I can't. You know what God would say to you? The same thing he would have wanted to say to that rich young ruler, then I will for you. Just say, I can't. Ask for help. I will bring the power. I'll bring the presence. Because I can where you can't. Because God gives you the will and the desire to do what pleases him. So if you're here this morning thinking, I want to go ahead and go to the throne room of my life, and honestly, something that used to be a good thing is a God thing or really close to a God thing, and I need to pull it back a bit, I just don't think I can. I've lived with this bitterness for so long and this pain for so long. If I let that go, I don't even know who I would be. So it's not like I don't want to. I literally can't do it. You ask me to give everything I have. That is who I am. I can't. Will you help me? Will you help me? And Jesus will always say yes to that. So this morning, if you are here and you want to be more free, you want to walk with God and allow him to be for the very first time or yet again on the throne room of your life, this is a morning. This can be a game changer. So here's what I'm done towards this. When it comes to blessings in our lives, we need to trust God for what and when. This is the last part of the passage. I'm out of time. We're not going to do this. But the idea there is, well, then we've left everything. We've done everything. And basically Jesus says, guys, trust me. Trust me for the timing and the way I will bless you here and forever. You just need to trust me. Be more uh, believing than demanding on that. And then the last one is, when it comes to God in our lives, listen, God will only be God. I told this in the first service. It kind of wrestled with people a bit. Some of you, not here, but maybe in other churchy circles, have been told a lesser gospel, have been given a thinner theology, where you can go to God and just kind of say, I want in but I don't want to follow you. I think I'll follow another God. I think I'll follow another way to determine my security and significance. I'll let another Lord lead me. Listen to me. God is only going to be God in your life. And if you're not letting him be God, he's waiting for you. He will literally say, you get to choose. You get to walk away with your idol, or you get to go ahead and leave your idol and walk with me. And I'll give you the power. All you need to do is ask. And that's what I'm asking for you this morning. I want you free. Jesus Christ died to set you free from the penalty of sin. And then the freedom is just beginning. And then he says, listen, it is possible for lesser gods to creep into your throne room, even as a Christ follower. And the more that happens, the less free you are. Let's clean out our throne room this morning.
And here's what I want to do. There's going to be no announcements this morning. I knew this would take some time. The only announcement I want is for you to announce your allegiance and dependence on him. And to do that, God says, I want you to walk into your throne room. And if there's a golden calf there, if there's something that is way beyond a good thing, it is really close. If not on the throne of your life, you literally must have it or you must keep it. And you would be absolutely destroyed if something changed. You've got an issue. You have an idol issue. So what I want you to do is have an opportunity. And Chai's going to come up. We've got tables here. And we have little pieces of paper here uh, of a golden calf. What I want you to do is on the back, write your name and social security. No, we're not. No, no, no. And everybody, I haven't even looked at these. No names. Even if you want to, no names. I just really want you to write down something. You don't get to choose, by the way. You just need to sit for a minute and say, God, search me. Know me. And know what I've replaced you with. Something way too consuming I need to go ahead and release this morning. And then I would encourage you to write that down. I've done this before, uh, some years ago, and I actually kept those sheets. I've prayed over the sheets, and I'm going to pray over these as you allow me to see what God is telling you to lessen the need of in your life. Some people in the past, yeah, wrote their kids, wrote the plans you want for your kids. Some people wrote their prescription meds. Some people wrote their alcohol issue. Some people wrote their hurt heart that they can't live without. I just don't know what that would be for you. But you're not going to be free if you don't come in and allow that, declare that, him, her, or that, to say, you know what, you don't belong in my throne room. I'm living for him and he's enough. So I'd encourage you, Listen to the Lord. He wants you free. Listen to his whisper. Have the courage to trust him more than you trust yourself and write down whatever he's calling you to get free from. Not eliminate, but just move from God to good many times. Say, God, I, I, I'm living for an audience of one and no longer I'm not increasing that to include them. And then what I want you to do is... Uh, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to pray over these, and I'm going to keep these. And uh, I don't want your names, but I want you to know that you need help and support. And so come up and write whatever you want to do. And then I'm going to just put this table down here. And then you can fold it or, or just turn it over, whatever you want to do, and just put it right here. And uh, But this is a time not to look around. This is not the time to do what you want this is a time to listen to the God who loves you. Jesus looked at this man and says, I love you too much to let you go without letting you know where I'm headed. I'm about to die for you. I'm about to make a way for you. But you're going to have to go ahead and let go what has been way too close to your heart. Because I can't fill what's already full. Would you do that? Would you bow your heads? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you, God, for allowing us to desire more freedom, 
than what we have right now. Father, I pray for some, they would move from churchianity to Christianity. You've never been on the throne room. They've been spiritual. They've asked good questions. They've even prayed. But they've never yet said, Jesus, please be my Savior to forgive me and my Lord to lead me. I will go to you for my security. I'll go to you for my significance. I will live for you. And I look forward to being with you now and forever. Some of you Christ followers, you've let something or someone creep way too close to the throne of your life. God has already known it, and now you do, because he's whispering it to you. He wants you free. He wants you free. Trust him as you do some throne room cleaning. one of the best decisions you've ever made. Amen. This is your time. I'll close in a little bit of prayer towards the end of this thing, but no announcements. The only announcement I want is what you're about to announce between you and Jesus in the next few moments. Don't waste this moment. Be more free than what you walked in here with. You are with me every 
been around our church much, uh, we don't do this too often. I think honestly, the reason is some of that is my baggage. And uh, because I do know that there is a possibility for pastoral emotional manipulation. I'm not into that. And so I probably have swung too far on the other side of not doing the altar calls or not really giving you an opportunity to physically express what God is doing internally in your hearts. But there is a now a moment that many of you have taken, and I really want to encourage you with that. And, uh, but let me say something about idols. Uh, you can sweep out a throne room. They have an, a way to come back. And so what I'd encourage you, if there's something that is a pull or propensity to go ahead and become more central, more pivotal, more than it should be in your life. Uh, it's going to want to go ahead and find its way back. You need not just encouragement, you need some accountability. So I'd encourage you on your own, whatever you wrote down that is part of how you have chosen to identify what living really looks like, um, I would encourage you strongly somewhere in our church family, get an accountability, get an encouragement partner. So you know what? I wrote something down. I'd just like for you to pray for me that I would continue to not allow him or her that to be first place in my life. 
And so I'd encourage it because that's what a church family is for. We need encouragement. We need support. And sometimes we really do need some accountability. And uh, so we are not into emotionalism at Grace Point Church, but we are into transformation. And uh, you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But then you also need his hands and feet around you. And we offer that to you. So if there's something in your life that you want encouragement, even help with, to go ahead and uh, be more free from uh, and to keep it as a good thing but not a God thing, we're here for you. We have pastors. We have leaders. We have ministers. And we want to support you in the process of, uh, of experiencing the freedom that God wants you to have. Yeah? Proud to be part of this church. And uh, the world needs to see more people free. And... Uh, May that, may that be you and I. All right. Thanks for coming. Have a great week. Uh, walk with Jesus. We'll see you soon.